Aloha, it is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. As always, I am here again for the Curvy Geeky Fangirl recaps, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast. A podcast where I just go over all of the geeky stuff that I have devoured throughout my week. It is usually TV and film, so there is that. Occasionally, I get a comic book in there. Uh, Recently, I just read The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina after watching The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, It was a great choice, so there's that. Uh, Also, I tend to talk about just random things as they come across my mind. This is not very mapped out. Join me for the ride, won't you? As always, you can find me over at curvygeekyfangirl.com. Uh, I do, I'm a contributor, aka slash the fashion and lifestyle editor over at forallnerds.com. So definitely go and check that out. I also do another podcast with a very good friend of mine, Miss Shea Cherie of Shea Cherie Show. And our podcast is called The People of Color Podcast. So if you want to talk about pop culture stuff that's not necessarily geek related, we're also over there. All this wonderfulness. Let's dive into the week of what I am recapping. So last week, I watched a heck of a lot of DC TV. A lot of DC TV. So for somebody who, and if you've been listening, will tell you up front that I am not that much of a DC person, I have been watching a lot of DC. So, I mean, it's growing on me. I'm not gonna front. I've always loved Static Shock. That's always had my heart. Uh, Like most people in nerdom, my first superheroes were either Batman or Superman. I have since been Batman and Superman out. Like, no no shade to their game, but I am thrilled to find new stories around DC characters. DC streaming service is basically paying for itself right now for me. I've just been in Young Justice, rewatching Teen Titans, watching actual live action Titans, getting introduced to a bunch of characters that I had no idea existed and just being like really really enthralled with all of that so i watched a lot of dc tv that's going to be including supergirl black lightning the flash legends of tomorrow and titans i'm going to be talking about all of those shows in my feels i also caught american horror story apocalypse but honestly y'all i don't know how everybody felt about this last episode but i wasn't a fan so it's going to be a very brief summary of my feelings over about talking about american horror story apocalypse I'm also going to be talking about Midnight Texas, which is back in the game. Excited. I love Midnight Texas. And that's pretty much it. That's really all I'm going to be covering. There wasn't a whole lot of series I binged. Um, There wasn't, there's, oh, I have some Korean drama news though. So I watch Asian dramas too. If you guys have been listening, I also watch Asian dramas. I was watching some Taiwanese dramas there for a little bit before I fell off. Here's the thing about me and Asian dramas. I get really in. And unless it's keeping me laughing and pining for the couple to get together, I fall off. I fall off and then I don't finish watching it and then I get confused. So, but I binge watched a Korean drama that I really, really loved over the weekend. So I'm going to be talking about that too and kind of moping about some terrible Korean drama news that I came across. I am super late to the game when it comes to this news, but... I'm going to be talking about it nonetheless. And as always, it's going to be spoiler heavy, spoiler filled. So if you have not caught up on the DC TV shows I talked about or American Horror Story or Midnight Texas, uh, the Korean drama I'm going to be talking about, I want to say it's called The Witch's Love, maybe? I'm going to look it up for you now. But if you haven't watched that either, I'm going to be going into mad detail 
on all of these shows, referencing things within the series. Nobody is going to be safe, basically, is what I'm telling you. So it is. It's called Witch's Love. So if you haven't seen any of these shows, pause it here, catch up, come back, join us in our discussion. If you are listening to this podcast on the many platforms that this podcast is available on, y'all, because I'm a pro. I'm kidding. I'm not. Um, <laughs> Please, please take a minute to subscribe if you haven't done so already. Leave a comment or a rating or both or both. I'm just saying just to let me know how you guys feel about this podcast and to show your love for it. Honestly, you know, I mean, everybody needs love. We all need love. Love to you. Love to me. Love to everybody. So you get the chance to do that. Please do so. If you're listening to this on the Anchor app, there is an option for you to leave me a message and it may or may not get played on the podcast. I'm just saying. All of that. All of that to be said, I'm going to be jumping into major spoilers on DC TV right after this. All right. So we are jumping right into Supergirl with uh, their Man of Steel episode. Look at me remembering titles. Yes, I did. I just looked that up. Anyway, Man of Steel episode that happened last Monday. By the time you hear this, it will have been last Monday. Uh, So not yesterday by the time you hear this. Um, Fantastic episode. Off the bat, I was really impressed with what they were doing with the story in this episode. Now, I've read a lot of reviews that kind of go back and forth, how some people feel they didn't do enough to really provide clarity uh, for the villain that was for the villain at all moving forward and how some people feel like they nailed it. They nailed it right on the head, especially in its comparison to the current social issues we're facing today, which is a lot of radicalization by groups who previously, well, I don't wanna say swept aside, but kind of swept aside, who wouldn't, who wouldn't have garnered the same attention that they're getting now. But because of the way the world is working, who we have in office, uh, these voices are becoming bolder and stronger and braver. And because of that, we're seeing a lot, a lot of change. So I thought they did a really good job of showing just how quickly that can happen. And from my perspective going into this, I definitely went into the episode knowing that this was going to be an origin story for the villain. So I knew that going in. Um, And I'm also just a huge fan of Sam Witwer, who is playing Ben. uh, What is his name? I have notes. I'm prepared. Ben Lockwood, a.k.a. uh, Agent Liberty. He is, or Agent of Liberty, Agent Liberty. He's just such a dynamic speaker. He's such a good speaker. I mean, yes, he's acting as well. But the, the belief in his voice, especially when he turns to the crowds, like after you see him start to amass a following, he's just so dynamic in his speech. I can completely see how people would be swayed by what he's saying and not question anything and really did a good job of showing why that is, like how that comes to be. <clears throat> so long story short, with, with Supergirl, uh, the main points I took away from this was the quick transition for Ben. He starts off as like this really sympathetic type of person. Like he's got a dad who, you know, they like to use the phrase old fashioned, but he's bigoted. He's got a father who's bigoted and very set in his ways. And Sam's just of the understanding, or Sam, I'm just using his real name, Ben. Ben is of the understanding that his dad has this 
particular perspective of the world because he chooses not to see anything else in it, but he still loves his dad. Like that is a point they really hammered was how much he loves this man. And so even though he sees his dad doing this and he tries his best to correct him, like he, he calls his dad out on a lot of the stuff he's saying. And you see his dad get frustrated and upset that he doesn't understand his, his point of view. But he's just like, listen, dad, you know, we're all in this together. And just very much saying, very sympathetic, very like, you know, what we would see as like morally sound <laughs> statements of like, you know, especially in regards to the aliens. He's like, they're not after us. They're not trying to steal things from us. They're just trying to, you know, live here like the rest of us. We find out that he's also a history teacher. So, you know, he's got a lot, he's got a college education. He has experienced some things, maybe seen some things at this point. So his perspective, you know, it's, it's coming from a different place than his father, who's made a, made a career out of owning this, I want to say steel mill, metal mill. He does something with metals and he owns the plant, but they're suffering in business. So they also lay out the troubles that this family is going through right now. Uh, the dynamic of, for money is changing, like their stability in the career niche market the marketplace they're in right now it's 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 dwindling it's like their options to make money are going away fast there are stronger metal alloys being used now and it's not the metal they're currently using they could incorporate it into their their workplace but they don't want to because the owner which is the father he sees it as a way of like shunning the american history that built up his place he doesn't want to include alien metal or foreign workers because he feels like it's hurting the legacy that his plant has, which is also dwindling by the by. Um, but also you see him just talking about, like rather than see an opportunity to, to enrich and encompass this in addition to their current values, he sees it as, as a full out attack, as a full frontal attack on his dream, which he has equated to the American dream. And it's just, it's just a lot of change happening and a lot of it at his expense, and he just feels like this is this is too much, this is too far. And you have his son, Ben, who's like, nah, dad, you need to give it a chance, yada, yada, yada. This comes to a head, like he takes his dad to work, and we see uh, these poor aliens trying to drop off a delivery of some kind, and they're instantly being attacked by the people that work at the plant. And immediately, Sam, or Sam, I keep calling, I wanted to just call him by his real name. His character's name is Ben. Ben's father, well, which we find out is Peter, Peter is instantly on the side of his workers. He's like, get these aliens out of here, yada, yada, yada. But Ben is the one who springs into action is trying to be the peacekeeper. So it's this one guy who's trying to block these poor two aliens uh, from like a nice size group of workers. Workers who know him and who might listen to him, but the tensions are already crazy high. The workers are already worried about where their money's gonna come from. And then to add to that fear, here in their face are the exact people they feel are the people that are taking from them right then and there. And you see it getting the tension just like getting exacerbated as more and more people are trying to get more physical. Ben tries to stop it and then something happens. So one of the aliens has a defense mechanism and he shoots something from his arm. Is it a spike or a bone? Something that is piercing. It shoots out as a defense mechanism. And it's something that he can't really control. It's a part of his biology. But as a human, you know, we don't have those types of things. So they're just like, oh, it's an attack. And it builds up and it goes into a huge, huge, oh, fewer, 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 huge fever. 
and it has to be broken up by the DEO. So the DEO end up on the scene. And yo, I don't know if this was on purpose, but I felt like it was on purpose. They were condescending as fuck. Like they they came on board just like yada, yada, yada. You guys are immediately telling Ben that his people were in the wrong. They're lucky to have made it out because Supergirl was there and she could have easily wiped the floor with all of them. And they need to be on the up and up the next time. And you've got poor Ben who's trying to explain like, no, 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 that's not what was happening. I was trying to help. Also, Ben has taken the brunt of the physical assault. Like he's the one who got shot by this poor alien when the alien spike blew out of his arm, body. Yeah, he gets the brunt of that. So he's he's already feeling the physical effects of trying to do the right thing and just being disregarded. He's immediately disregarded and dismissed by Alex as like not even, she doesn't even take the, the time to hear him out at all or even just make it, make him feel hurt like at all. She's immediately like you in the wrong. He's like, no, 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 I was trying to help. And she doesn't even be like, oh, well, thank you. She's just like, oh, anyway, yada, 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 yada. And so you see it start to set up. You start to see Ben looking at this like he was trying to be sympathetic to everything that was going on, but nobody's being sympathetic to him. That's not really how that's supposed to work, but I can follow the logic. And then it just breaks down even worse and worse for Ben as the show goes on. Like you you hear it in his teachings too. Like there's more loss suffered by the family. They start to go further out of business. He tries to work with Lena and her only option is that you know, we need to change the plant from what your dad's doing to this new alien metal alloy. And he's like, my dad's not going to go for that. Is there another way for us to do this? And she's like, nah, peace, out, done, dismissed. He tries to go to CatCo, he tries to talk with Jimmy. He, he also tries to get Jimmy to do more topics or at least create more conversation about what's going on with the regular humans on this planet who are dealing with a lot of loss right now, who are dealing with wondering where the next plate is coming from, how they're bouncing back from these catastrophes that keep falling on them from alien attacks that keep happening because of the new dynamic on Earth. And Jimmy, again, is also super dismissive. He's just like, we've done that. They should be reading it if they needed it. Like, we're recovering it as much as we can, yada, yada. I'm out, done, boom. Like, all, like we see a lot of examples of Ben trying to reach out and nobody meeting him halfway, like not one. Even the part where he meets with, with Kara. So there's a whole scene where he is losing it now. Like he's, he's in full xeno, xenophobic total measure. He's completely losing it. It's after a huge breakdown he has at school. And he confronts this uh, student of his who's also an alien at the alien bar and he's just, he blames her for the loss of his job. Mind you, he's been saying hateful shit. Like it's been, it's been a slow grow, but he's at the point where he's just full on like, fuck these aliens, they need to get off our planet and preaching this to his students and his students are leaving and they're making complaints. And he puts this all on the alien student who was one of the first people to leave his class and was just like, and calling him out on this shit. Just like, you are being a monster right now. I'm not here for this. He blames her for the loss of his job. And she's like, I don't know what to tell you. I didn't do anything, but I'm not surprised somebody has. You're losing it, man. And you see Kara come in. It's their karaoke night. And she tries to intercept like what's going on because it's quickly getting heated clearly between his himself and this poor girl. And, you know, she inserts herself and she's trying to calm the situation. And I don't want to say it was another an, another example of being dismissive, but it was another example of not really taking the time to find out why he's already at 
the state that he is. Granted, it's not everybody's job to just be like, ooh, you're crazy. Let me try to talk you down. <laughs> That's not, it's not anyone's job to do this. What he's doing is wrong. But I can see how he feels isolated in his feelings on this. And when he does meet other people who are willing to listen, they're people who are, who are also already at a state of xenophobia that matches his. So it's like, it's not the greatest. So I can see how he just kind of moves into this new position of just being completely against any kind of alien anything in his life. He, he suffers more loss. We find out that the Daxum invasion that came through, it sets his house on fire. It sets his house on fire. Like there's a whole fight above his house. They have to run out of the house right before anything hits. When they get there, Jean is there in his full Martian form and he's going after one of the Daxamites. But in, I mean, even though he handles the Daxamite and he turns to them and he's like, don't worry, this, is, this situation has been handled. Have a nice day. And like rolls out. Granted, they're in the middle of a war. He still kind of just left them to figure out what to do next. Their house is on fire. Their house is on fire. <laughs> They've, they're losing everything right before their eyes. And it's not like none of this is their fault. Like not a thing. It's just adding more and more to this anti-alien sentiment. That's happening. Um, and he's just like at a loss for words. They're not... They, they uh, basically established that like any kind of attacks that have been happening around the city, if any damages is happening to personal property, it's not being covered by insurance at all. Because I mean, this, this, this is set up to be like a few years into this huge alien migration. So nobody is like, oh, you know what we also need to insure for? Attacks. Like no, <laughs> no, no insurance company is doing that. And in, and in real life, you wanna talk about a low key, they would never because those would be humongous payouts and they would just lose a lot of money as a business to do that. So there's no way they're going to cover all of that. Um, but you just see him him start to lose it even more, more and more as things are going on. And also in that huge Daxum, was it the Daxum fighting? Another fight. I don't know if it's the Daxum, Daxumite fight or something else. Something else is going down where the city is under attack again. And Ben realizes his dad is nowhere to be found and he ends up running back to the mill or the whatever this the plant or whatever this thing is to go get his dad because he loves his dad and his dad is in full like titanic i'm going down with the ship mode like he's like he came back to this family-owned business that he either created himself or took over as part of the legacy of descendancy that has happened or whatever but he's just like, I came back here on purpose. He's already hurt. Something has already fallen on him because it, the, it's not, everything's under siege. And Ben has to watch his dad die. He watches his father die in this building that's only in the trouble that it's in because of these aliens that have brought this trouble to his door, literally to his doorstep. And now they've taken his dad. Like, whoo, yo, whoa, show, whoa. Meanwhile, he's still gaining um, set, like uh, supporters. He's still gaining supporters who understand his sentiments and it's just encouraging him more and more. You see him actually carry out a hate crime and it's against the alien 
that kind of kickstarted all this off for him in the first place. We get the poor guy who worked in deliveries <laughs> for what they were doing. The guy with the spikes, they come across him, uh, him and like four other dudes are all been drinking, talking about the losses they faced and they see this alien. And of course it's the alien that shot him in his shoulder when he was trying to stop the fight in the first place and he fucking loses it and just goes ham on this poor alien. So, I mean, and that's how we see the birth of Agent Liberty. That's this. That's how this is happening. They did such a good job of showing you how these little things, these little things we wouldn't even think about, completely take for granted, add to, to the catalyst of this radicalization that happens with Ben. Like, he started out as a very sympathetic everyday guy who quickly becomes the exact thing that he like just a few months ago would have been completely horrified to even see. They did, a for me, they did a really good job of showing how fast that can happen. Like just how fast that can happen and how lost a lot of these people seem to be. So when they look for other help or look for other support, the support that they're finding morally may not be the greatest, ethically are not the greatest, but it's something that makes them feel heard. And it's something that sympathizes with the trouble that they're going through when nobody else is, when no one else is. And I was just like, this is terrifying. This is horrifying. This is terrifying and horrifying. I mean, the parallels between what's going on in the show and what's going on with immigration right now, it's not, it's not hard to decipher. It's not hard to see how that's working, but oh my gosh, I just, I was I was in shock. I was amazed at this episode. There's a quote that he says uh, that really stuck with me by the end of this episode. Like it's right before he makes the full turn to evil xenophobic leader. He talks about progress to his students. He talks about it. it it's clearly tinged already with like the perspective of of a, of a slight anti-alien uh, sentiment there. But basically the whole quote is, next time someone tells you how great progress is, I want you to stop and think who paid the price for it. Like, damn it, Ben, damn it, Ben, you right, you right. There's a quote one of my favorite history teachers used to say, which is that freedom is not free. This doesn't exactly equate to that, but the whole, point is the principle of it is that there's always a cost when we're talking about change there's always a cost when we're talking about change and who exactly is the one that's going to have to front for that cost who's gonna to have to pay the most for that cost and is it worth it after all is said and done like bringing that into the fray it was amazing i mean ethically morally clearly the change is going to be worth it the more inclusive you are the more diverse you can be the better enriched we as a people become. Like that, that's proven in history. That's proven in history. But I understand the fear around it because in order for all that to happen, you have to lose some stuff. And who, no one wants to lose anything. Like they did a really good job with this episode. I can't say that enough. They did a fantastic job with this episode. And I'm gonna, not gonna lie to you. When I was reading like the... The promo for it, reading it, mind you, I did not watch the promo little clip itself because the way I watch this, all of this is the next day on Amazon. I don't watch any of this live or through Hulu. So when I see the promo for next or read read the little summary for next week, 
or, or not for next week, for this episode itself. The fact that the, we weren't going to see Supergirl in it at all or any of the main characters, I was like, this is going to be boring. And then I watched it and I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Supergirl, this is amazing. So, I mean, I can't wait. I can't wait for the next episode. I can't wait for this season. I hope the writing stays at the level it's at because it's doing a fantastic job right now. And yeah, I just can't, I can't get enough of it. So I'm going to be moving on to The Flash right after this. Hey there, listener. This is Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I thought I'd take a minute to let you know about another podcast that I do with a friend of mine called the People of Culture Podcast with Shay Cherie Show. So that podcast basically touches on anything culture through the perspective of two women of color. So we give our opinions on a lot of different things, and we discuss a lot of different topics that's not necessarily only revolved around geek culture. So if you were in the mood for listening to another podcast or to add another podcast to your list, you should definitely check us out. And that is the People of Culture Podcast. You can also find us on our website, thepocpodcast.com. All right, moving on into The Flash. The Flash this week was actually pretty decent. I mean, I was... It still falls into a lot of the flash trappings where it feels like we're kind of running in place in story or they kind of focus on one thing for way too long. And then you're just like, why did we need all of that? So that that still kind of happened. But for the most part, I really like the character development, especially in regards to Nora. So there's that. So, um, okay, a couple of nitpicky things to start off with. Bad news first, right? And then we'll get all to the good stuff. I'm not a fan of this idea of meta items. I'm gonna have to do some research, but is this in a comic where items have meta ability? So whoever's holding it can, well, you know what? That might be the whole point of Shazam. Now that I'm thinking about it. Or, um, what's his face? On Justice League, there's a character that lives inside of a helmet. I wanna say, Karma? It's the spirit of something, justice, something. And he lives in a helmet and whoever is the bearer of that helmet gets this ability. And basically that entity takes over the body. But then, but no, that entity takes over the body. It's not a literal thing that got blasted with black, with dark matter and became a, a meta instrument. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but now we're being introduced to meta items and it comes in the form of a cell phone uh, for the new antagonist of the episode, uh, which is cleverly named Spencer Young, so. I liked that name because Spencer, because it's a it's a name that's got really popular towards the late 90s, early 2000s and young because good Lord, the this. So this this villain that we get for the episode, she's a vlogger or no, sorry, blogger. She's doing it to old school and posting things that you have to read. And basically she's chasing leads to get famous regardless of her safety, regardless of ethics, regardless of morality, all of it. She just wants to be famous. She doesn't care how she gets there. And to her credit, it's working. It's working great. We start off the episode with her crazy ass running towards all of the issues that are happening. They, they try to pick it up like right as the satellite battle is going down with the thinker, Nora and um, Barry had just run up to stop the satellite. But in punching the satellite, of course, debris, stuff is falling to the planet. Um, So Crazy Spencer is running towards all this damage and she has to get saved by Nora. So Nora saves her. 
And when she goes to get her phone, that which had been knocked out of her hand and her stupidity to run towards danger, she realizes the phone can do stuff. And then as the episode progresses, we find out this this phone can control people to guide them to the headlines she wants them to have. So she's over here typing up things like Nora kills the Flash or the Flash goes to Las Vegas, like random things like that. So she can manipulate them into getting the type of written pieces she wants developed on her site. Eh, the villain on this one was like, eh. I mean, it was a nice little shout out to Logan Paul. Let's not front. It's definitely a shout out to YouTubers, vloggers, bloggers, the world around who could care less about the actual ethics behind what they're doing. They just want to do it to get these views or to get these likes or to get whatever with little thinking that there's no consequence to these actions. And of course there is a consequence to the actions. It was, it was okay having this, this type of villain kind of come up. It was a nice little commentary on stuff that's happened, but I, again, this, this for me was the part where they spent too crazy long on this particular villain. Like she shouldn't have been this hard to get, but the end result is that they did get her. There is that. Um, also we got a random storyline with Dibney and, uh, Sherlock, which I was a little confused about like all of a sudden Dibney is questioning his private investigation skills like he's been a he was a cop and then he was a very successful PI granted not an ethical one but a good PI and now that Sherlock is here is it because he's no longer looking into Caitlin's dad's stuff that he's just like oh no I don't know if this is correct like he's definitely starts having these doubts about himself and then we see the turnaround come when one of his gut feelings towards something ends up paying off in the end and he even gets you know the um validation from Sherlock that he's doing a good job like I was like did we need did we need this I mean it's cute I love Dibney anytime we have more Dibney fantastic there was no Cisco in this episode so I will take the Dibney but also did we need all of this did we need all of this I mean we did get some good information out of it the mask that's being used by Cicada like why he's using it at first it was uh, you know, Sherlock points out the obvious is to hide his identity, but then we find out that there's a medical reason to it. He's there's, there's a breathing situation happening with, with Cicada. He's having trouble breathing and this mask might help him with that. So there's that. And they kind of looped into where he might be working. So Cicada at least knows that they're looking into him at the very least. I don't think they've pieced together that the plant they were at is where he works. So there's that. We also got a little random thing with Cicada. He's gaining strength. Like he's gaining super strength. You see his health declining. He's having trouble breathing. He falls to his knees in his apartment, hideout, whatever this place is that randomly has a metal pole in the middle of it. And you see him kind of grasp for this metal pole in the middle of his living room. And he crushes that thing like a straw. So, and you, you see the shock on his face, like, oh my God, like what? And then he goes and he does it again. And then he's looking at, so after they introduced the cell phone situation with the the meta items thing, apparently it looks like maybe a piece of that satellite hasn't been embedded into his chest. And this is what's giving him the ability, but also taking away his health. So there's that. They also kind of led some, left some like trail tidbits here that the satellite destruction could have also caused his daughter to be in the hospital the way she is. So you could see how he would feel the justification on going after all these other meadows because baby girl's in the hospital. 
So there's that. We did get that. Uh, the big takeaway for me for this episode was these the Nora Iris conversations, build up, and dramatic climax. It paid off well. It paid off well. I was a fan of the Barry Iris coupledom when the show first started. I, I'm pretty sure I've told you this already. Because they changed the origin of Iris. They made her a black woman. I was like, oh my gosh. In. <laughs> like at the time, there wasn't a super there wasn't a lot of shows doing that. Superhero wise, period. So the fact that she was gonna be a black love interest, I was like, what? And let's watch this. The love between Barry and Iris has been adorable. It's been so cute. The chemistry between the two actors is it's there. You can see that they, they clearly care about each other for the show. They're doing a great job of being each other's one and only. I also have a soft spot for Iris's nickname or baby name for Barry, which is not Bear, but when she calls him Babe, like that's that's just for me. That's a nostalgia thing for me. Growing up, that was a term of endearment that I heard all the time from aunts and uncles, from my parents, older cousins when they were talking to their boyfriends. Like that was the term you use to say that this person is something that means a lot to me and they're in my inner circle. This is my babe. Now you've got bays and you've got whatever else is happening. I was never a fan of baby. That's just me. I was never a fan of being called baby. I don't understand the bay situation. But babe is something that I also use. So I love it when she calls him babe. It's a nice it's a nice thing for me. But also uh, just how she is completely clueless in the kitchen. We get a nice opening of her trying to make breakfast for the fam. Uh, I'm pretty sure they established that Iris cannot cook. She is not great in the kitchen. But here she is trying her darndest, trying her hardest now that Nora's staying with them. Uh, and it's not great. It's she Her pancakes are very interesting. Um, and even though she's trying to create this as like an olive branch to reach out to Nora, it's clearly not working. And she tells, you know, Barry as much. And he's like, well, you know, this, you know, things take time, yada, yada, yada. What I loved about it, another favorite thing for me around that little scene was when she like gives up the fact that she can't cook. She's like, I know I can't cook this. Whatever I made is terrible. Like after she takes a bite of it, she's like, this is horrible. But like to come back, to bounce back from that, she tells Barry she's going to make him a banana. Make him a banana. <laughs> Just like, what? Like like a bowl of cereal. She's like, I'm going to make you a banana before you have to go to work. And he's like, make me a ba- You know that bananas. And she's like, I'm going to make you a banana. <laughs> I loved it. I love that whole little back and forth. It was really quick, but I loved it so much. But also back to the Iris Nora situation. We finally got information as to why Nora is so anti-Iris. Like I, we knew it was going to be a buildup of like mother daughter tension of some sort because she hid herself from iris leading up to her reveal she's clearly stuck more to barry than she has iris like she's actively tried not to be around her we got a nice glowing moment of maybe there might be some hope in the tunnel for iris and nora when iris has to walk nora through how to get the flames out of the building and she even says thanks mom it was very cute and then it quickly goes away. So, but we find out the reason Nora is so upset is that in her future, her mother has had her chipped. It's a chip that stops her meta powers from forming or being accessed. I'm gonna say access because they're already there. She just can't tap into them. Uh, so she 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 gets she finds out she's been chi- she was chipped at a very young age so that she would not have the abilities her father has, which was a decision made by her mom. Uh, we get the inclination 
that she either already had this conversation with future Iris and it didn't go well, or she attempted to have this conversation with future Iris and it didn't go well. Cause like she breaks into tears pretty fast in her arguments against Iris. Those fights really pulled at my emotions. Like on the one hand, I was glad we were getting the clarity for Nora about what was going on with her and Iris. I feel like we were four episodes in, this is way too fucking long for us to, to be strung along as to what's going on between Iris and Nora. But we finally get some clarity on it. Basically, future Iris taking away this um, choice for Nora, just took fully, fully taking it away. But at the same time, knowing everything that Nora knows, she had to realize that this fight that she was having with her mother was a fight that was completely one-sided. Current Iris has no idea that all of this is happening. She didn't even know what what type of situation she would even be in, that she would be like, this is what I need to do for my daughter. Like, and you see the pains that Iris is going through. Like, shout out to Candace. Like, she did a great job of just being like this tormented, confused woman who's trying to reach out to her daughter who's not reaching back and again also shout out to the actress who plays Nora she did a great job of playing somebody who just is so hurt by the actions the future actions of her mother that she can't she can't differentiate the fact that she's talking to a past version of her and she hasn't done any of this yet like so the thing that sat that didn't sit well with me through this back and forth was mostly just a personal situation, personal opinion, in that I felt like Nora was really laying it thick with the guilt trips for Iris when Iris honestly had no idea what the fuck she was talking about. She's like, how could you? I can't believe you did this to me. This is why we're not talking. And poor Iris is just sitting here taking it and just being like, I don't, what? Huh? What? To Iris's credit, she's like, I understand, like, I understand I did this, but I don't know why I would do this. It would have had to been something terrible for me to think that this was the best option. And we even have this moment where Nora tries to get Barry to side with her. Like, mom did this, does this to me in the future. She's trying to tell me now that she might've had a reason (laughs) to do it. Like taking this choice away from me, making me even less connected to you. And Barry sides with Iris. He does he does a fantastic ver- job of being a dad who's got to make the tough decision of, of siding with his spouse against his hurt child. And he's like, forever and always, in the, in the past, in the present, in the future, I'm always going to side with your mother. She makes fantastic decisions and she always puts family first. So if there was a reason for this, I'm completely on board with it. Of course, it's not what Nora wants to hear. She ends up leaving the house. She's completely against everything. She's now living at Grandpa Joe's. Uh, is anything happening with Grandpa Joe? Before I sidetrack into that, but that's how we kind of leave the episode. Like up in the air, still the cicada mystery going on. We got a little more clarity with the Nora situation. Villain of the episode is gone. Done. Side note stuffs. Is Joe okay? The actor who plays Joe, like I, probably, I think I mentioned in the last episode, he's constantly sitting or leaning against something, like not really moving a lot. I keep saying I'm going to look into it, but I hope he's go- I hope he's good. I hope he's okay cuz he's not he's not very physical in the episode. Or maybe he just wants a break. Either way, I'm hoping everything is good because he is a gem. So all of that. All of that. The episode was the episode was very informative at the very least. It was a nice ride. I love the cute moments with Barry and Iris 
and like when he was playing baseball and he's like, I don't understand why I get, keep getting put into right field. And it's because Barry sucks at sports. It was nice to see him, I don't want to say fail or fail, but maybe falter in, in an activity because it's not based around running completely. It, it's also based on a bunch of other things that he's not super strong at in the first place. I like that. I like I liked the the mini struggle he had of like trying to do great at this, but also keep his identity, but also really sucking at it. Like honestly, just just truly not being great at it. It was highly enjoyable. So all that being said, I'm going to be moving on to Black Lightning right after this. All right, moving on into Black Lightning. This episode for me was a, a little. Eh, eh. We're gonna we're gonna use that sound as as my sum up of feelings on this episode. I mean, there was a lot of things happening in the episode. We saw some progression, right? Jefferson is forever after Tobias. Tobias is technically forever after Jefferson, so it's it's a nice back and forth. Uh, we see Jefferson with like a little bit of hope under his belt, though. He feels like now that the police have Tobias in custody, you know, it's a matter of time before they can put him put him away for good. And he can finally answer for the crimes against his father. Of course, that's not going to be a smooth course because Tobias is smart and he has gotten rid of a lot of evidence linking him to the murder of Jefferson's father. So, and we see that dream like quickly just blow apart for Jefferson. Like he, he, he storm. I don't think he storms into, maybe he was invited into the precinct. He's talking with his cop friend. He's like, listen, you've got to put Tobias away. Like urgently, his cop friend is really not trying to hear it from him. He's still upset that Jefferson basically lied to him this entire time about being Black Lightning. And then Jefferson drops his bomb on him that he was actually there to witness his father's death, live and in person. Mind you, it has been 30, 40 some odd years since everything has gone down. And he's just now telling his friend this, like on top of the other reveals his poor friend has just discovered. So he's just like looking at him incredulously at this point, just like, are you are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? So I did like that with Jefferson's uh, strong headedness. He's like, he just doesn't feel like he could do any wrong. And so they put it to the test. They have, they have him go under a, uh, I don't want to say a pretend cross-examination, but a pretend cross-examination as if he were on the stand. And the woman who plays this lawyer, she used to be on Eureka. She's been on a lot of different things. I love this lady. Of course, I don't know her name, but she is fantastic. She quickly discredits him as a witness entirely. She brings up all of these flaws to his statements. Like, why has he kept it a secret this entire time when he was asked about it he basically lied to law enforcement so why the heck should anybody believe him now like does a really good job of showing him what a terrible idea it is to just go full forward with this half-cocked plan of his quickly and quite quickly tells him this is terrible terrible plan what else we got um let's talk about lynn's dumb self lynn has not been a favorite of mine on the show on the show, which is mean, but like starting out, that's kind of mean. She's the only person, uh, a with a medical degree on the show. I mean, I mean, not in real life, but for the show and her family, she's the only one like dealing with the science behind a lot of what's going on to them. 
But she just, I just, she always feels like she's on the wrong side of things for me. Like in the first season, she was constantly fighting Jefferson about him embracing the fact that he's Black Lightning and maybe helping the people of Free uh, Freeland. So a lot of crazy stuff was popping off and she was just like, don't do it, don't do it. And because he loves her, he was listening. But then as soon as the girls got involved, she was like, okay, do it. Like she's run me the wrong way with that. She came around for me though, by the end of the season, she realized the foolishness. She even got into the fight. I was like, okay, here we go, Lynn. And then we start right off with season two with more foolishness from Lynn. Uh, her terrible lying, one. The fact that she basically uses Gamby to get her into a project that she wasn't a part of in the first place, because she feels she needs to be a part of this project right now. And granted, some of her reasons are valid. She has birthed and lived with people with this metagene from this particular vaccination and seen how it works in a stable environment and is hoping to do what she can for the poor kids who are not stabilized with this vaccine. But in order to do so, she has to introduce and compare the genes, the DNA sequences that are stable with the vaccine versus the ones that are not. And in doing so, it is a dead giveaway that all of these DNA sequences, samples, are connected, which the the crazy doctor points out real quick in a hurry, real quick in a fast. Her, Dr. Jace got introduced in the previous episode. She was currently, she was in prison. I don't remember if she was in the old season. Was she in the old season? She might have been. She she had been taking care of the pods for Tobias. I want to say for Tobias or for the ASA or for somebody um, before, back in, in the first season or beyond. I don't remember her, but she got put away when everything went down. And now they need her back because her expertise is required for the projects that they're doing with these poor kids in these pods. Lynn is under the assumption that they're working to better these kids, to get them stable, get them healthy, and get them out the pods. Dr. Jace is like, no, this is their lost causes. They're deteriorating rapidly. It's amazing they've lasted as long as they have. We need to cut the cord, basically, dissect them, learn what we can, and then continue with another version of this of this vaccine. And I mean, pragmatically, I understand her. I understand Dr. Jace. Ethically, of course, she's terrible, but I get the logic. So it's her and Lynn talking about these kids. And of course, she's going to come across these samples. This is what she does. She looks at all of these things. And mind you, she has a huge history with these kids. She has a bigger history with these kids than Lynn's stupid ass, who's been like just ignoring it for the past forever. So not only does this doctor who is insane have a leg up on Lynn when it comes to knowing the full history of these kids, now she has this stable sample of data sequences that show a, a familial connection between the three samples that are fine. And she, of course, she's gonna piece it together. Like, what? come on, Lynn, come on, Lynn. Really, your dumbass is just gonna put this up and oh, just, oh my gosh, Lynn. So clearly the downfall to this family is going to be Lynn, the discovery of these, of the Jefferson clan. Yeah, oh, the Pierce clan, the Pierce clan. As Meta's, it's going to be unveiled because of Lynn's dumb self. That's my rant on Lynn. Um, so we also had Jen moodiness, always with the Jen moodiness. Okay, I'm still, 
I have struggled with my sympathy for Jen. I really have. A lot of it has just felt really selfish. And I understand that that's how they're trying to connect her to her age. They're trying to show that she's a teenager. And like, you know, at that age, we're we're not like hugely thinking of others. We're really, we really are just thinking about ourselves. But there's just something about Jen's back and forth. Like she has these moments of clarity where she realizes she's being a brat and being insane. And then she has these other moments where she's just like, I don't fucking care. I'm gonna do what I wanna do because the world sucks. And this was one of those episodes. This was one of those episodes. We got a nice beginning with Jen. She's having her session with her therapist, Maxine Shaw. That's not her name for the show, but I told you guys I'm never going to remember it. It's going to be Maxine Shaw. So she's having her therapy session. I found it interesting that in the world she built in her head, Issa was like the good version of a date for her for whatever event they were going to. Prom, homecoming, the dress was cute. I'm not going to lie. Jen's outfits are always on point. But I found it interesting that Issa was like the good version of this date. And then Khalil comes knocking things out, already just stabbing people with his needles. And it's a whole emotional fight for her at this point. I see that they're trying to tie in her history with Khalil. The first season, they did a great job of showing how he was her rock when a lot of things were changing, when a lot of things were being revealed to her and she did not know how to cope. He was her rock for all of that. I don't, I don't know. It feels kind of latent now because there's been so much time between the first season, his change, and now. Like we're only four episodes in to Black Lightning. And in this particular episode, they're trying to show how like she has a lot of unfinished feelings when it comes to Khalil. And on the one hand, she doesn't want to talk to him. He attacked her father. He doesn't know that was her father, but he still attacks somebody very important to her. But then on the other hand, this was somebody who was her rock who she never got closure with. And I see what they're trying to do. I just don't think it's doing it's being done well. And this might be because this is a week to week show. So the information they want to divulge, given how many characters they're also trying to share stories on, is probably crazy limited in what they can do in the capacity for Jen. But that being said, Jen right now is just annoying. She's just annoying. We end the episode with her making a terrible decision to go and hang out with Khalil at the school for some reason. The same school where he attacked all these people. I don't, girl. Also annoying, Mike Lowry. White Mike Lowry gotta go. But he, that is on purpose. And, I, and this I kind of appreciate. Like it's, an, it's annoying, but it's a good annoying for me because it's very much ties into real life where you have somebody step in, usually a white person, step into a space and take complete control of it. And even though technically they are following the guidelines that they're supposed to be following it, they're following it with, a, with prejudice. They're following it with the intention, well, maybe to show like, so they can say who's boss or whatever, but also without regard to the people it's actually affecting. Like, I liked that. I liked that we had Jefferson in a situation where he was trying to do his tactics, trying to do things his way and get these kids to not beat each other in the face and, and walk away. And it was almost working until white Mike Lowry got into the business with his rules and his regulations. It's, he's not long for this space. He's not long for this space. Either Jefferson is going to quit. He's going to stop trying to get to the school and realize there's another way for him to help his kids without being a part of the school. Or White Mike Lowry is going to die. Like Those are the only options at this point. He's either got to die 
or or Jefferson's going to leave. Like, that's it. That's it at this point. Kudos to the actor. He usually plays annoying characters. He's been in a lot of things. He's doing a really good job of being a very annoying white man. He's doing a really good job. I know that sounds like shade. It's not. <laughs> so I'm, actually, I'm genuinely impressed that he is holding his own and staying committed to this character the way he is. So there's that. Um, Anissa, crazy self. More craziness. I just said that Lynn is going to be the downfall of the family. It could also easily be Anissa. So she's over here just like kicking ass, not taking nobody's name, giving money to causes she thinks are worth it, money that is not hers, and thinking like there's no consequences uh, to her actions. Like Lynn, like a lot of people in the show. Jefferson too. But clearly we see that the inner workings of that not going to pan out. These gangsters she's been robbing left and right are starting to come together. And now they're getting making their way uh, into Freeland with Tobias's blessing. So it's a whole gang turf mentality of like, listen, there's somebody we need to kill. We don't mean to dis- disrespect your Tobias whale. You know, we, we know you could murder us in an instant. So we're coming to you in a peaceful manner to let you know someone got to die. So he, Tobias is all, okay. Also, damn, is Tobias fine? Anyway, that's for me. But, um, so I don't know what it is about this villain. Usually I'm not, with the exception of like, um, believe it or not, the villain from the second season of Iron Fist, a show that I do not miss and I'm not sad that it's canceled. What's his name? I don't think it's Dante. But whoever the villain is for that show, who also came from that crazy mystical place, I also was feeling it for him too. Granted, also crazy. Crazy murderer. But damn it, fine. Fine. Anyway, back focused. Tobias Tobias is in the midst of his plan. I don't know what he's doing. Like, I guess to clear his name. Like, he, I don't even know if he got tipped off that they're going to try to pin this murder of Jefferson's father on him or something? Was this mentioned before and he realized that that was gonna come back to him or what? But he does a great job of making sure that they don't have anything against him so he can get charged. I don't think he gets charged for the murder of Jefferson's father, but he gets charged for something else and he gets acquitted of this charge. Knowing full well to try to come after him for that particular charge again, they can't. It'll be considered double jeopardy. He already was acquitted. Yidi, 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 yada. And the speech it gives to the cameras and the public, beautiful. Beautiful. Great writing there. And he just plays this this whole card of like, yes, I too am my concerned citizen. Like, I loved it. I loved all of it. It was condescending as heck. Everybody knew he was lying. But damn it if he ain't charming. And fine. And fine. Anyway, focused. Uh, but but we also see that the, the 100, they coming back. They coming back in a big way. Gamby also got a surprising lot of screen time. He had a full fight with a pretend pregnant lady. That lady held her own. Listen, I was impressed. I was impressed with the fight skill, the choreography there. She was not letting up and she barely got away. Also kudos to Gamby for hanging in there. Like it's been a minute since he had to like rough and tumble with somebody. He he still got his ass kicked, but he hung in there. I give, I give him the credit. Um, and this guy was one of the originals, one of the original warriors from the 1970s film, The Warriors. So he's got a background in getting his ass kicked a lot. I'm just saying. Uh, also, he had his whole fake heart to heart with Kara, 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 Kara. 
the the pretend vice president who apparently nobody is missing like we never got a moment at the school where white mike lowry was like and where is the vice principal like not not a one so i guess she quit or they just don't care about her either way she is not looking great apparently she's got sepsis which is a poisoning of the blood because of her wounds she took a harpoon to her stomach we know tobias isn't worried or isn't thinking about cleaning things so Lord knows how long she sat with this thing in her and now she's got this. Um, so basically, Gabby tells her, you gonna die, girl. I need you to tell me everything you know before you dead. Like, otherwise this was for nothing. And she doesn't believe him at first. And granted, I side with her because he's he's gonna try to manipulate her. They are, they are of the same cloth. They were in the same faction to a degree. Uh, no, yeah, no, they were. They were in the same faction of, of working for something they thought was gonna be great. And then, no, no, just kidding. Terrible, terrible plan. So, but then she realizes uh, he's he's telling her the truth. She's gonna die. And she gives him this long speech about make sure you don't burn me in the ground. I don't wanna be put in the ground. Yada, 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 burn my body. And then doesn't have enough time to tell him exactly what's going on with Tobias. Granted, that's purposeful to the plot. So they have to look more into what's going on. She did, does hand off a phone to Gamby so that he's got a better clue of how to get this suitcase with his mystical properties. But um, I was like, word, okay, sure. We'll give her a full 20 minutes of speech about not dying, but we're gonna give her 10 seconds to tell us what's happening and where the case is. Cool, great, thank you show, fantastic. And that's pretty much it. That's the whole show right there. So I'm interested to see what's going on with the next episode. This wasn't, for me, this wasn't the strongest episode of Black Lightning, uh, but I'm allow it, I'll allow it. We're not, they're not all gonna be gems. We did get lots of information. Interested to see where we're going with that. Interested to see what's going on with the Jen Khalil angle right now. Like we got this whole breakdown of her remembering better moments with Khalil, which was like all of, nearly all of the first season. So how is this factoring into her current mental state, emotional state? And is is she gonna get the closure she needs before the season's out when it comes to Khalil? I still stand by the fact that Khalil is not going to turn for the good. He's not. He's too far down the rabbit hole to turn good. Also, it would really suck if he turned good so fast. I think it would undercut his story if he just like mid-season was like, and I'm great again. I am on the good side. That's right. Jen's love saved me. Like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be fulfilling to me if he just turned good. So here, we'll find out. We'll find out and see what's going on. I will be moving on to Legends of Tomorrow right after this. Hey, it's Joe, AKA the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl with the exception of Twitter. Of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. All right, so we are jumping into Legends of Tomorrow. It's gonna be quick and brief. So basically in Legends, we got, well, I'm gonna say we got a lot of fluff. We got a little substance, but it's still a show that you don't watch 
for its edginess. Let me put it that way. We had several storylines going at the same time. We had Nathaniel dealing with his dad, who is Biff, by the way. That is Biff Tannen um, from Back to the Future fame. Shout out to you, sir. Still look great. Uh, we also had Zari dealing with her mother again, like the loss of her mother and feeling... I'm, I don't even know. I don't even know what's happening with Zari. She basically just kind of threw herself into this storyline of trying to save this woman from being burned as a witch. And the woman wasn't having it for some reason. And she Zari loses it for a minute. Like goes full crazy on everybody. Only to come back. Like it didn't, a random story from Zari. Like we get it. She misses her mom. I don't understand. Also, we had Constantine's little storyline. First of all, all his scenes with Mick. Classic. Appreciated it. Uh, but also some shady business. So if you know, if you're familiar with Constantine, either from the movie or the TV series, this is somebody who does happen to do good things. Like he'll go out of his way to try to help people, try to save people, but it's not completely selfless. A lot of it is self-serving. He's done a lot of shady shit in his past and it's catching up to him. There's currently a demon after him, like leaving him notes everywhere. It threw him against some stuff. That's why he's with the legends right now. And he's trying to do his best to figure out a way from, a, a way to get out of the mess he's currently in. Of course, he's not going to tell the legends because what kind of story would that be? But you see him trying to strike deals in this episode with the, the current entity they're dealing with. And this entity is hilarious. We literally have a fairy and it's a spin on the fairy godmother type of character. She literally breaks into song Apparently she is a demon who can only do magic when it's requested by somebody else. And you see her her explanation as to why she's as malevolent as she is in regards to the acts that she's putting out comes from eons of dealing with self, selfish, selfish people petty selfish petty people who only wanted like the most ridiculous things and it just drove her crazy so now she's just like when she does come across somebody who's not selfish and is actually selfless she's like we need to burn everybody to the ground every chance we get like so like on the one hand whoa but on the other hand i get it uh, but i love this lady lady who played this fairy she did a great job she also happens to be the voice of mama cosmo if you know about the fairy odd parents so the fact that she's over here singing about fairies, hysterical. But also you see Constantine trying to st strike a deal with her. So after everything goes down and he manages to separate this entity from the child for the episode, he strikes up a deal with this fairy. And he's just like, listen, you don't have to go to hell. I'm gonna send you to hell, but you don't have to go to hell if you make a deal with me. If you attach yourself to me and uh, basically work your magic for what I need you to do, you can stay. Whatever is coming off of Constantine is enough to scare her into choosing to go to hell. She's like, that's okay. I pass. Like, no, that's all right. Whatever this is that's coming after you, I'm not going to be a part of it. And she gets sent away. It was very interesting to see that. Um, Nate's brief heart to heart. I feel like that could have got summed up a lot faster. I mean, they gave us a little preview as to the business dynamics for the federal agency that works with the... The, the time bureau, I want to say, that works with the legends, um, them needing funding, them needing money. That's, that's, I mean, I live in the DC area. That's a real thing that happens with people, you know, putting out proposals, hoping for the best. But um, 
I feel like his the back and forth they try to build up with with Nate and his dad, it 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 didn't feel right to me. And like I said, it felt like they could have summed it up a lot faster. For whatever reason, he held off on showing his dad that he can literally turn into a tin man. Or the fact that he's a legend. Like they have dropped this information on people who they don't even know at the drop of a dime in other instances. But when it comes to his dad, who is desperately trying to impress, he holds off on it for some reason. And then at the very end, when they, they're not making any headway otherwise, drops it all on him in one go. Sure. I mean, we got Biff Tannen though. So there's that. Um, what else? Oh, we got a nice Oswang shout out. If you don't know what an Oswang is, I suggest you Google it. I know what one is because my grandfather is Filipino and he gave us terrible nightmares. My sister to this day has nightmares about this creature from folklore that we got. We were, we got read to by crazy family members who clearly didn't care about our sanity. So that being said, they're terrifying. They're so I'm going to warn you up front. They are terrifying creatures. Check it out though, because you should learn other folklore. Anyway, also, we also got that. Not that's pretty much it. It was it was dealing with uh, the witch trials and uh, the monster of the week, which was this very basically saving this woman who gave a very empty speech about being a martyr for the betterment of her daughter, which didn't make sense. Them saying we can't change the timeline. This is required, and then changing the timeline anyway. So legends i mean it was it it was a fun episode it's not hard to watch it's not an episode where you're going to constantly roll your eyes but in true legend fashion it's also not going to be an episode that's real in depth about anything which is what it does that's what it does when you're going in to watch it so it did its job while i'm here might as well talk about american horror story apocalypse um also crap episode it's the eighth episode for American Horror Story. That means there's two episodes left. We're still in this damn flashback. Act, I don't know if the writers forgot we know how this ends or what. So we're still getting all this ridiculous information about Michael's past for some reason. Like we don't know his plan is going to work. Like we don't know the apocalypse actually happens. Like we don't know that he is the herald for all of this. So I'm very confused as to why we got another episode about Michael and his come up to be basically the devil on earth. So whatever. I mean, we got, we got a little, I wanna say a little science around it. We found out how that robot got built because it was right after the death of his foster mother whoever this person is to him. So we see how the robot got built, but we also know why the robot got built. We didn't need the episode. I mean, they show basically how this organization got built. Like, um, that leads us into the first three episodes of the show. So we see how these other characters came into play, why this organization was around. Michael is a part of it. This is also an organization that's deeply rooted in getting favors from the devil and like selling their souls in order to get the good stuff done that they want to get done because sure yes um i didn't it was dumb it was a dumb episode it was a dumb episode i don't know why we needed this ridiculousness we got no new information from it that's it that's all i gotta say 
We still have two more episodes. Are we going to get another damn flashback? We are. You know we're getting another damn flashback about these witches. I don't... I think we should... I mean, I mean, this next episode coming up is going to be the ninth episode. And if the promos are an indication, because I actually looked up the promos for this next episode for American Horror Story, we're still in the flashback for some reason. And apparently this is going to be the episode that shows us what happens to the witches, I guess, when they launch their attack to Michael. Or I guess when Michael just decides he's going to attack them. Either way, it's going to be another hour of television, 45 minutes without the commercials, of just fodder for no reason and then i guess we're gonna magically sum all this up in the last episode like come on show anyway that aside moving on to another show before i get stupid angry titans titans next after this all right moving into dc's titans so titans i did not speak about or speak on that much last week but i am caught up i watched all of the episodes leading in so Everything is together now. And I was pleasantly surprised with this episode. I didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did. I ended up loving this episode. So this episode was called Doom Patrol. We got introduced to Doom Patrol, which is a character group of characters that I've never heard of from DC, which automatically made them that much greater because we weren't walking around Batman again and we weren't walking around Superman again. It was nice to see some characters that I wasn't super familiar with. And in a setting that wasn't like it was for Dove and Hawk. Like, Dove and Hawk immediately started out in like a very melancholy way. <laughs> like nothing was going right. Things were terrible. People were getting beat up. Promises were being broken. And then uh, somebody got thrown off a roof. So, end of episode. But with this episode coming in, A, it wasn't solely revolved around Raven. Raven's still a focal point for the story, but thankfully it wasn't the Raven show for the full episode. So we got that. Beast Boy is finally in the fray. Beast Boy is some beautiful levity that we need in this very dark, melancholy show. He's going to bring the funny and the kid who plays him is freaking adorable. This kid who plays Beast Boy, I can't get enough of him. He very much reminds me of uh, American Dragon Jake Long with his green hair and the red coat. I don't know if this is on purpose that they're doing this or not, but either way, I like it. I'm appreciative of it. Um, we got his backstory. We get his uh, Garfield's backstory. Beast Boy's real, real name, Garfield. We see his meetup with Raven. We see him kind of find her in the forest, tell her to come back with him to his headquarters, which is where Doom Patrol is. is. Uh, I don't know if in the, I want to say in the comics he was attached to Doom Patrol, but I know for sure in Teen Titans he was too. There was a whole episode devoted to his history with Doom Patrol and how that worked out for him. And it explained his costume, so, in that show. But in this show, I mean, it still kind of explains his, his outfits, but we get introduced to a lot of people and I have questions now. So like they introduce us to Elastic Girl, we get a robot man, we get Negative Man, and we get introduced to somebody named Chief and Chief is the person who saved all of them when Garfield was in the Congo for some reason by himself with a crazy disease. Chief was there to help him and in the, ad, in the guest vaccinations or whatever it is that he administered to him, that's why Beast Boy is the way he is. That's why he can have a green hue. It's why he can ship or ship, uh, shape shift at will into any animal he wants it to be. And why well, he's got green hair. 
So there's that. Uh, he apparently saved all of them. Elastigirl was an actress who got hit up. They made it seem like the Joker was involved. Like she got hit up with like some Joker gas or something. And to help her out, because apparently it just completely wrecked her her DNA. We get those gene sequences again. It completely wrecked it. It had to be reconstructed and he did it. And he did it in a way so that uh, it would be elastic so that it could expand when needed to kind of deal. The offshoot of that is that now she is completely elastic. When they introduce her character, they introduce it very morbidly. Like it's just this mound of flesh that's kind of gurgling in a bed. And then it kind of forms into this person. They make a very, I mean, over the top point, but good point of showing like how much she valued her beauty. She was a Hollywood starlet from back in the day. She also apparently has not aged since the 30s. But she's still somebody who's trying to figure out how to balance these new abilities she has and keep the same poise and face that she had in her past life. And she's, she's you know, kind of wibbly wobbly about it, understandably. She has to literally focus on keeping herself together at all times. So you get instances of her face drooping, especially when she's trying to kick out Starfire and Dick when they break into, well, I don't say break into, the door was wide open. But when they get into their hideout trying to find Raven, we get a moment where Beast Boy stands up for Raven. Like she at first is all down for Chief to help her figure out what's going on with her, especially, you know, like the demon aspect of things for her. And But then she freaks out like towards the end. And I don't blame her. Chief seems a little maniacal in his, his theories and how he thinks he can help people. And he's basically just like strapping her down with these huge, huge buckles. And getting ready to point sharp things into her and is like telling her telling her to relax and just be ready for it <coughs> so i completely understand why she was like nope pause no i don't want any of this bye no and then even when beast boy tries to step in and is like she doesn't want this we need to stop and chief is straight up telling him no we get a nice little moment where he flashes green and tells her to stop we get the beast boy that a lot of us recognize from the animated series for a split second because it's a lot of cgi guys and then he immediately gets knocked out by chief so i mean also dealing with that i also wasn't a fan of how like they try to tie up the loose ends of this so like after all of this build up and getting to know more about doom patrol getting very little about raven uh, beast boy just up and decides he's going to travel with them like you you see this moment where they're all getting into dick's teeny tiny car a very tiny car and they look over expectantly at beast boy and beast boy looks at them and then looks back at doom patrol and robot man and the rest are like you need to go with them you belong with them was that established at some point like he never talks with starfire or dick grayson at all he's just been with raven and now they're just all on board that he's traveling with them sure Sure show. I mean, it's been explained that this episode was basically a backdoor pilot for Doom Patrol. It worked well in that effect. Did it work well to progress the story forward for everything else happening in Titans? Kinda. We finally have Beast Boy, the band back together. We got the four we need because they're not including Cyborg because they're monsters. So we have all that. These, since it's on a streaming service and I'm not watching it live, the promos for the next episode are automatically in the episode. And we see next episode already. Uh, Corey and Dick getting down, getting down. I don't know if it's a dream sequence. 
It might be a dream sequence. Who knows what's happening in this next episode? But it all, but basically, the band's back together. So we got Beast Boy and Raven. We got uh, Corey and Dick Grayson. Everybody's together. Mind you, nobody really knows each other right now. Outside of, like, Raven and Dick and their shared history, nobody else knows each other. So there's that. But otherwise, decent episode. I appreciated getting to know these characters that I didn't really know anything about. Um, Negative Man being Matt Bomber's voice. Robot Man being Brendan Fraser's voice. Seeing the girl from Drop Dead Gorgeous playing Elastigirl. It was like slight familiarities with a lot of things. And then also getting excited to see what kind of new stuff is going to drop down. So I'm in. I'm invested. I liked this week of DC TV. Even even with Legends. Legends was like a nice sugary treat. You know, just something that's not going to have a lot of substance, but still makes you feel good. So that sounds dangerous. Anyway, so, so all of that to say it was, it was this episode for, for teen, or teen oh, I wish it was Teen Titans for Titans it was a decent episode for Titans and I'm actually looking forward to the next episode now that everybody's together because this the slow build up to get everybody together I wasn't a fan of and I'm still not a fan of this Raven no shade to the actress she's doing the best she can with this material that she's been given I'm not a fan of the teen angst angle I'm just I'm just done with it. I'm over it. I would like to see something else by this point. But it's going to be a slow grow. Uh, It's still one episode a week. It's every Friday, but it's still one episode a week. So there's 11 episodes total for the show. That was the fourth episode. So we still got a ways to go. We still have a whole seven more episodes to go. I'm trying to see if they're going to give us an episode after Thanksgiving. And they are. Well, at least that. They're not going to do the weird holiday break. So that's good. So we're going to get these episodes well into December. Excited. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what's going to happen with Doom Patrol now, too. Especially now that Brendan Fraser is going to be a part of it. Brendan Fraser has been the love of my life for some time now. So there's that. There's that. And Encino Man, George of the Jungle, any of the mummies, any of the mummy franchise, <laughs> all of it. All of those things. I loved all of them. His more serious stuff, school ties. Um, there's a romance drama in which he plays an artist in. He like picks up who I think is a homeless girl to be his muse. It's a weird movie, but it's a good movie. And of course, I don't know the title of it. I based, I barely have this other, the other pieces together. But yeah. There's that. It's just nice to see him back in the fray, especially after the article dropped about him. Um, I want to say last, was it last year or just a few months ago? I want to say maybe during the summer, there was a full like interview with Brendan Fraser and his life after all of the Hollywood and a lot of stuff came out about his treatment and the harassment he dealt with. And just, it's nice to see him doing stuff again. Especially in this type of genre, which he kind of excelled in back in the day. So excited. Excited to see how everything goes. We'll be moving on into another show, Midnight Texas, y'all, right after this. What up, everybody? It is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And I just want to take a moment to talk to you guys about For All Nerds. Dot com. So you guys know, if you've been listening, I am a contributor or was a contributor to a lovely podcast slash 
pop culture media sensation called fanbros.com. They've recently gone through a name change because this one's just better. And it is called forallnerds.com. They are still doing the podcast also under the For All Nerds name. So you should definitely check it out if you get the chance. Your girl has recently been elevated in title. So I am now the fashion and lifestyle editor for forallnerds.com. So if you get the chance, absolutely take it. Go ahead and check it out. Check out the website. It's fancy and new. It's just so shiny and bright. I've got articles there. My first ever interview is there. It's done with Marcy Harrell if you get the chance. I also have my regular fandom fashion breakdowns. And I'm trying to do something a little newer by including articles about where you can buy already ready-made geek fantastic outfits at stores that are centered around that dynamic. So check out forallnerds.com. Check out their podcast, For All Nerds. Get in on this geeky information, this geeky insight. It is told by geeks of color from the perspective of nerds of color because yes, all of the things and whatnot. Okay, real quick before we dive into Midnight Texas, let me just breeze through the gifted this week because also this show. I am fully convinced that this show is just setting up these Von Struckers to be nonstop villains. I'm fully convinced. They've never sat well with me watching it through the first season. It came off as this very privileged white family who suddenly had a slummet with the rest of the world, uh, especially with this group that they had been hating on with prejudice for quite some time. All of the family, not necessarily, but... Also not that far apart from it. So seeing that their privilege is failing them, they uh, can't, (laughs) they struggle. They struggle to try to manage this world now that they're complete outcasts and they just keep fucking it up episode after episode. So that's where we are with them. Uh, We basically got like a mini story with Andy in regards to what's going on with him and the rest of the Hellfire 2.0 club. Uh, He kind of has a girlfriend which is terrifying. Homegirl is unstable. They do a lot to explain up front that she's not going, she's not gonna be going into anything moving forward after her escape from this asylum in like a, I'm in a safe mental space type of manner. She's, she's gonna be off kilter. She's been through a lot of horribleness. Uh, and they, they saved her from this insane place that was basically trying to break her apart and nearly succeeding. Uh, she's a mutant with an ability to turn things inside out. So it's not just that she can push things inside out like you would like flip a blanket over or something. She can keep it intact. So it's literally the same structure, the same the same everything, just inside out. And so we see her use this power in her testing. That was the whole part of her screaming in the promos from previous to this episode. Um, I wanna say it was a safe or some, something huge. She turns it inside out finally with the help of connecting with Andy. Her and Andy have a very Sid and Nancy vibe going. At first it starts out sweet, but then we get to this point where she's trying to I don't want to say bully these police officers, but mess with them. And it quickly turns dark, like how they want to mess with them. Andy eventually pulls her away, but he's also not stable. It's minutes before he's full villain. So, and now he's got somebody who's going to feed this into him. So I don't, whole show. So they have that, uh, they still have Polaris acting like a robot. That's still happening. Um, We didn't get a whole lot of Reva and... 
we got more of the Struckers in their struggle. Like we're dealing with the aftermath of uh, the freed mutants that they took with them. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know why we got this, but we had a whole scene with John and Caitlin trying to save this mutant who basically is secreting acid. Like everything coming off his body is acid, sweat, the blood, anything liquid coming off this dude is straight acid. And it's making it crazy hard to help him. He might have a collapsed lung that they're dealing with. He's got other kinds of health issues going on, but they can't touch him because of the acid. So it's that kind of a struggle. And then we also have the purifiers coming in full force. Jace has gone full purifier at this point. He's at the meeting and you're thinking, okay, he's gonna come to his senses. He's gonna see the hate mongering happening. Nope, just kidding. He's gonna show them how to hate monger pragmatically. I still feel all type of way about choosing Jace to be the front of this effort to have a, a black man be at the forefront of this hate group that very much, very, 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 very much parallels a lot of hate groups in our society against people of color. I know that there's probably a bigger point to this. I think they're also trying to show how easily, how easy it can be to radicalize somebody, especially when they're dealing with a lot of loss. I just feel a way about the fact that it's Jace doing this. Like, this is not to say that black people can't be radicalized. I just don't like the the way this is being handled. It feels sloppy and a little misguided, but who knows what that writing room looks like? It did say writing room. That happened, but uh, I am hesitant to see how this is going to play out for Jace. I'm kind of hesitant to finish this series out as is. I really wanted to give this show a chance. For me, the first season was definitely better than a lot of the X-Men films that we had got. But right now, this season isn't, it's not making me want to watch it. It's a struggle episode after episode for me to watch it. So I'm probably going to take a little break from The Gifted and then maybe come back and like binge it all together. Like probably... A little more into the new year when more episodes have dropped but but the break probably didn't help it either it took a two-week uh, vacation for the world series that was coming on for some reason and maybe it was airing on fox i don't know so maybe that's not helping it either but it's not it's not doing great so moving on to midnight texas midnight texas is doing great so here's a show that's doing fantastic we had our latest episode uh that came out on i want to say friday Friday episode two the monster of the week is patriarchy um I have questions about the title of this episode I don't know that that's what we watched but okay so basically what's happening in this episode is uh, a ghost is basically a poltergeist is killing people in the hotel it's the hotel that Kai and patients own and they are healers or Kai is Kai is a healer uh holistic I still I get a Medicine Man vibe off of Kai. Kai to me feels like, okay, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Lost World, the TV series. So this isn't based off of Jurassic Park. This is based off of, I want to say the Sir Sir Arthur Conan Doyle storyline. Now I'm going to have to look it up and make sure I'm telling you guys the real stuff. But basically in that show, there was a whole episode dedicated 
to a man who was a medicine man for his people. Basically, he was a, a healer, a holistic healer. Yeah, it is his Seraphic Conan Doyle's The Lost World. So he was a healer for his people. And basically what he did was he took, he could resolve any illness, any sickness, but he took it into him. So he would take their their suffering and put it into his body. And the way that their system worked when it came to medicine men was that, I mean, at a certain point, everybody hits their full mark. They hit their, that, that moment where they can't do anything else. And literally, he was kind of like a bottle. He was filling up with all of this negative energy, all this bad energy. And if he stuck around too long with it, it was going to warp him and turn him. But at the same time, he didn't want to die, which is fair. Which is fair. So he decides to go ahead and not die, basically. He, uh, he tries to outmaneuver people and tries to stay alive. And when he does do that, he goes full crazy. He goes full demon. And he's got to get put down. This long story is to say that I think that's what Kai is doing. I think Kai is also trying to absorb a lot of negative energy <coughs> in order to do something really, really bad. He's got that head he's keeping behind the, <coughs> the painting. And we're, st- we're still not getting a whole lot of answers as to why this head is here or behind the painting. And I feel like his wife doesn't even know what's happening with his head behind this painting. So, we, I mean, the last image we get is Manfred. I mean, he got tipped off by the ghosts, the poltergeist ghosts that he helped for the episode. He gets a tip off from the woman who, um, this poor, this, okay, so that whole story, it was a story where the poltergeist was a man who felt like people were coming after his wife and therefore he had to kill everybody. Then we also find out that in his living life, he felt his wife was constantly cheating on him. It got to a point where she was like, well, fine, I'll just cheat on you since you always think I'm cheating on you. And that was enough to get her killed. She got murdered by her husband. And then he killed himself and buried them in like the basement of this hotel so they could be together forever. So naturally they are trapped and she can't get released because everything's intertwined with her husband. So she's like, damn it. So Manfred manages to help them out and separate them and get them to go to, you know, the big beyond. Before she leaves, she tells him there are secrets behind the trees. Midnight, Texas. It's just that. In Texas, it's not known for its forests. I, I'm a little impressed that Manfred put together, oh, she means the painting in the hotel. <laughs> so he goes straight into Kai's room, office space, whatever this room is, figures out how to open up that painting, sees the head, I don't know if he touches the head or just gets close to it, but he gets a vision of somebody slicing the head off this thing, off of, uh, off of something. And then that's it. And we go to the end of the episode. So Kai's got a lot of secrets happening. There's a potentially a demonic head behind the curtain or or behind the painting that he keeps talking about beloved too. So, I mean, I wouldn't put it past it that he's a demon, that he's a demon and he's trying to get all this together so he can bring back his demon wife, girlfriend, person significant other that's out there we also got a Manfred patience like moment there the promo for midnight texas shows like you'll, you'll see the one of the promos where they're like all kind of sprawled out but all coupled up so it's 
Joe and that Walker guy, like kind of, kind of hugged up. They're they're definitely touching. But then you have you have um, Bobo and Fiji, definitely coupled up. You've got Olivia and Lim, coupled up. And then you've got Manfred and the woman who plays Patience, and they're not necessarily coupled up, but they're but they're touching, which is supposed to insinuate something. And they had this moment in the episode for some reason where they had like this lingering look. Manfred's newly single. Creek is gone, which is the girlfriend that left. He's feeling, he's feeling it. He's feeling sad that she's gone. Are we going to put patience with Manfred? Clearly Kai isn't on the up and up, quite clearly. And this hints about patience and Manfred kind of getting together. Weird. Also weird, the acceptance of ghost by Kai and and patience with little to no explanation. They're not like, yes, we have history of supernatural deities. They're just like, Experts on ghosts for some reason. Well, ghosts, he's like, ghosts exist. And she's like, I know they exist, but they don't hurt people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kai says the same thing. Like, I'm like, what? And and he just, and Manfred just takes it in stride and continues with the rest of the episode. And I'm like, no one's going to be like, hold up. Why do you know that they exist? I have a thousand questions. So, so apparently that's setting off no alarms. We also have Olivia and Lem still dealing with their psychic link. It's clearly not going to go well. Quite clearly, it's not going to go well. Even the best of us and the most loving of relationships would lose our shit if our significant other was in our head 24-7. It would drive anybody crazy. And it's driving Olivia crazy. She she needs her space. She needs a way, I don't want to say to be independent of Lem, but, but to maintain herself basically. And she can't do that right now. Or at least she doesn't know how to do that right now with Lem constantly in her head. There's that. Uh, What else we got? Oh, someone is trying to kill Bobo. So every time Fiji and Bobo get close and start canoodling and start making out to get a lovey-dovey, bad crap keeps happening around them. The plants all die. Uh, Bobo nearly got his hand chopped off by the fan. He gets daggers thrown at him. All kinds of stuff keeps trying to kill him. Fiji finally pieces it together that something is actively trying to harm him every time they get together. I swear. Anyway, I'm going to go into a rant. Warning. Fiji spent the entirety of the first season being alone. Yes, she had a bunch of friends. Yes, they gave us like this angsty love uh, story for her and the fact that she liked Bobo, wasn't, but wasn't sure if Bobo liked her back. But she spent a large part of season one not acting on any of her feelings towards Bobo or even or even enjoying being a couple we are two episodes in to Midnight Texas and we're already kind of retracing the steps of isolationism for Fiji why do we need this why do we need her to not be with somebody why are we stringing this out there's tons of things we could be talking about other than the fact that she it can't be with Bobo. We don't need this back and forth. I promise you. We could come up with a gazillion other things. She's literally a witch. Come on. Come on, Midnight Texas writers. So, uh, But again, this could have been what's in the books. This might be from the Charlene Harris books where it's a constant back and forth between her and Bobo. It's not out of character for Charlene Harris. If you read any of the True Blood books, that's exactly what happens with her main characters with Suki and Bill or Eric or Tiger Guy or whoever else you want to talk about. Did she ever get with the werewolf in the book? I don't think she ever got with the werewolf in the book. Maybe she did. 
Maybe she, I don't remember. But there was a lot of back and forth with Suki Stackhouse and these men that were a revolving door for her. So this could be something that's happening in the book with, with the character Fiji. I really hope not. And I really hope they tie this up fast because I do not want a full season of the Will They Won't They Fiji show. Pass. What else is going on? Where's Chewie? Where's Chewie? Why is Walker in here? Like I said, that promo photo shows Joe and Walker like coupled up. Where's Chewie? His husband. Are we going to say that like maybe he takes some time off? There was a whole, they made a whole point in the first season to talk about how Chewie kind of lost himself to his demon side and it took Joe three years to get him back. But now in this second season, we got one episode with Chewie in it and it's been ghosts since. Yes, granted, we're in the second episode, but it's not looking great. He's in none of the promo photos. So are we saying that they're taking a break or getting divorced or becoming polyamorous? <clears throat> I'm interested. I want to know what's happening there. And why is Walker coming to the forefront so much? Who cares about this guy? But who cares? He's not in the actual episode, which is great, but he is name dropped a lot in the episode. And you see like the whole Joe struggling with identity situation where like he's starting to collect all his old weapons that he had when he was an avenging angel. Um, and it looks like he's gonna go on like a path of slaying demons. And that's exactly what Walker's doing right now. I don't know why we need this, but it's there, it's happening. What else? We got, oh, the big bomb that dropped. So the whole episode was kind of also included the storyline of what's going on with Lem. Lem accidentally turns a girl into a vampire. <laughs> a vampire. Against his will. So this girl uh, witnesses Lem bear his fangs to like scare some people out of the bar. She realizes Lem's a vampire. I guess we're just like assuming everybody in Midnight, Texas is just cool with supernaturals. Like we're fine with it. I, I guess they're trying to say like because of what happened last year, everybody's just down. Whatever. So this girl who used to who works at a strip club and is not having the greatest of lives. She really isn't. She's got a terrible boyfriend. She got basically mocked out of a job that she was trying to get earnestly. She's not she's not doing well. So she sees Lem and sees him as a way to like get out of out of whatever this craziness is. She drugs him with silver, which she somehow figures out that's a thing we can do. And then turns herself. She manages to use Lem to make herself a vampire. They don't give us details as to how that occurred, but it does. We just know it does. And then she kind of goes on a killing spree for a little bit. She turns some other girls. We got to put those other girls down because they monsters. But we got, it ends up being this girl left her heart to heart with Lem about how she's just miserable. She's just miserable and doesn't know what else to do. And then Kai steps into the fray and he's like, I can fix her. I can, I can absolve her of, well, not of everything she's done, but of, of the ailment that she has, you know, being a vampire. Everybody knows that to be a vampire, you gotta die. You gotta die to be a vampire. So people are like, how are you going to fix her? <laughs> like, how is this going to happen? But he's like, I can do it. And of course, they're like, okay, all right, Kai, here we go. So Kai does it, though. Kai does it. He takes the vampire out of her, further adding to my theory here that he's a medicine man who's just hanging on to all of this. 
It takes a little bit out of him, but he he's fine. And the girl's no longer a vampire. And holy shit, does that change a lot of the dynamic in the show. Now there's a way to stop being a supernatural person. Now there's a way to just live your life as a regular human. Is it gonna have consequences? Of course it is. This is a Charlene Harris book. But now that that's in the fray, who knows what's gonna happen with that? Are we gonna need it? I mean, I can completely see a storyline in which Olivia becomes a vampire only to not become a vampire a little bit later. I could definitely see that as like a test drive for her to see if she likes being a vampire. Um, even though she's very staunch, like, no, I need to live and grow old and die. Um, or even for Lem to stop being a vampire so that he can break the psychic link with what's her face. I could see that being the band-aid to restart everything for them. So like if he's human for a little bit and then goes back to be a vampire, it would break the link. I could see that happening. Um, but clearly somebody else is going to take up this option of not being a super. Oh, is it going to be Chewy? It might be Chewy who takes up the option to not be a super. Chewy is a half demon. And whatever this crazy man is doing, I'm sure he absolutely could use half a demon energy, whatever, for whatever madness he's planning. So, and that would be a way for the writers to take Chewie out of the story. Because clearly he is not for this season. He's barely, he only has like a credit for like the that one episode. So I could see that happening because Chewie does not like his demon side at all. He's not proud of it. How he became half demon is already crazy and highly suspect. So I could see him being like, this is my way out. I need to do this. And it being like a last off straw for Joe. And then that's how he moves in with Walker at some point. I don't know, I don't know, but we'll see. But it's good, the episode was good. It it has a nice pacing to it with with uh, Midnight Texas. There's a good pacing with it. There's a lot of characters, but they do a really good job of making sure every character has just enough time to continue with the whole episode. And for a show I can't binge, it's pretty decent, it's pretty good. So I'm definitely sticking it out. I'm gonna see what else is going on with Midnight Texas. And that's pretty much it. That's going to wrap it up for Curvy Geeky Fangirl over here. Talking about Curvy Geeky Fangirl recapping of all of these shows and whatnot. Like I said, I did uh, read The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, and that's right. I'm supposed to also talk about K-drama stuff. So real quick, K-drama stuff. As you may or may not know, Drama Fever, which was a, a, a service I used to use quite often, but then switched to Vicky has stopped, has stopped existing. It got it, it got canceled or it got terminated or basically it got bought up by Time Warner apparently like a couple years ago. Uh, got put, you know, kind of got folded into that group. And when they realized it wasn't going to pan out the way they wanted it to, they got rid of it and they shut down all of Drama Fever. So if you had a Drama Fever account, you randomly woke up one morning to find out that that account meant nothing they're in the processing of trying to get you a refund if you were paying a month to month subscription or had paid the year out and you no longer have access to any of those dramas you had queued up or favorited at all with that service, which had been around for nine years. Unbelievable. A good lesson in that nothing gold can stay, but also, and that this is, these are streaming services and this is also part 
and parcel of a streaming service. You don't own the actual video content. They don't even own the actual video content. So what you're streaming and what you're watching and what you're favoriting, there's no guarantee it's gonna be around there, be around at all. It could change completely without warning and just be gone, which is a little crazy. But also now a lot of people are scrambling to find out where they can now watch dramas. People that are hardcore into K-dramas, I mean, it's not so much that they're scrambling as they're upset. One of the things that set Drama Fever apart was its options, the variety of shows you got through Drama Fever. For me, it wasn't a huge amount, but the shows they had were high caliber. And the subtitling they had for the shows were amazing. They had a very fast turnaround for subtitling for their shows. So if you're not a native speaker, and you don't know how to, <laughs> you don't understand the language at all, those subtitles are everything for you. With Vicky, it's volunteer. So it's a lot of volunteer groups trying to get these episodes translated for you, but they can take a while. It can, it could take a long time before everything is caught up. So even though the episode dropped and is now available for you, like today, it may not be, it, it may not have an English translation until like further into the week, Wednesday, Thursday next Saturday. It can be a while. So Drama Fever was was a step apart in that factor. Like it had stuff ready for you from the get. And a lot of the shows they had were really, really good. I want to say they were they came a lot of them came from C S C V S S V S or T V N, which are networks in in South Korea that have that have really good dramas attached to them. So Supposedly, part of their downfall was that bigger companies were now jumping into the fray. So licensing costs to get these episodes or these series got bumped the hell up now that bigger players were in there because bigger players can afford to pay these prices and, and secure these these new new series while smaller companies can't. Somehow Vicky is staying in there. I don't know how long Vicky's going to be able to stay in there, but so far Vicky's staying in the game. Uh, otherwise, you do have K-dramas on Netflix. Apparently, you have K-dramas on Hulu. I want to venture to say you even have some on Amazon Prime. But I also read somewhere that that was through Drama Fever. And now that Drama Fever is no more, we may not have that many of options on Amazon Prime. At least right now. That's not to say it won't be available in the future. But also, holy cow. I mean, I knew Korean dramas were, were going mainstream. The Hallyu phase like the wave that came understandably but yo drama fever is gone so yeah okay so that was my bad news with that um i did watch which is love super cute real quick it's 12 episodes it's it still does the drama fever thing or not the drama fever the k drama thing that annoys me in that they drag a concept out far longer than they need to we didn't need 12 episodes for witches love we really didn't but that's also part of the course for k-dramas they're gonna circle around the two leads getting together until the very very end and i kind of should be grateful there's only 12 episodes a lot of dramas can go out in episodes 16 22 if you're looking at a chinese or taiwanese drama 72 like it can get really really long so but it was, it was cute. It was a cute, quick watch. I love that it was about a Korean witch. You don't get too many of those. Supernatural stories in K-drama land. I don't want to say they're few and far between, but there's not a lot of them. There's not a whole, whole lot of them. So 
is interesting when it happens. And it was cute for this one. Like they, they had the magic, but it really, it really wasn't like practical magic-esque. Well, kind of. It felt like they tapped into a lot of tropes we've seen in Americans' tellings about witches. It was focused around the kitchen. She had two elder aunts. It was very Sabrina. But a lot of her magic was also roped around a man. She had to have her love in her life in order for her to stay a witch, which could be problematic, but also is a trope of K-drama. You have to have the story revolved around love in some components. Usually, sometimes it's... It's, it is reversed where it's the male character that heavily relies on the female character. Usually it's in a capacity of her making him better or, or her creating a safe space for him. Very matronly, very motherly. Like they do keep to those stereotypical roles of like the woman is a nurturer and the man is the provider type of thing. But every so often they'll surprise you and you'll get a story where it's not like that at all. And she, this woman is completely self-sufficient and she's just dealing with this crazy person. So <laughs> you never know. But the, the witch, witch's love, I want to say, wasn't, wasn't that. But it was cute. So if you get a chance to check it out, you should definitely check it out. And I think that's going to wrap it up. Yeah, I touched on the K-drama stuff. That's going to wrap it up. That's going to wrap it up for the Curvy Geeky Fangirl for real this time. I hope you guys had a great time catching whatever shows you caught. Please let me know if there's any TV shows you think I should check out. I haven't been watching a lot of stuff on sci-fi, so if you're watching any TV shows on that, I'm looking for anime recommendations now that My Hero Academia is on its break. I mean, I have Black Clover to a degree, but I don't know how much longer Black Clover is on. If It might already be off for all intents and purposes. And... There was a show I was trying to get into, but it got scary really fast. It's it's a horror anime, which I usually like, but this was dark as heck. It was about this girl who kept finding serial killers on different levels of a random building, and then it turned out she was a serial killer. It got it was a really depressing anime, and I wasn't ready. So if you guys have more lighthearted fare, <laughs> let me know what you're watching, and I'll check it out too. I have access to Crunchyroll. I've got access to Funimation. Let me know. And that's going to be it. I hope you guys have a good week. You can always reach me at all of my socials. I say them all throughout the, the episode here. But if all this fails, you definitely can catch me on curvygeekyfangirl.com. I'm also at forallnerds.com. I hope you guys have a good week. Bye. What's up, guys? It's Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I am back again, sort of consistency, with the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast. As always, I talk to you guys about what I have been watching and or reading as it relates to the geek culture that I'm obsessed about. And per always, you can find me on Instagram. I have one. I haven't posted in forever but I got one I also am on Twitter I do post on Twitter thank you very much you can also find me over at curvygeekyfangirl.com I'm also still believe it or not the, the editor for the lifestyle and fashion section of forallnerds.com a couple of posts of mine got posted recently so that's up there as well and all of that fun, fun, fantasticness. So this particular ride, I'm going to be covering my regular DC TV. I'm going to be talking about Midnight Texas because that show is just giving me so much life right now. I'm also going to be talking about getting into the holiday spirit. 
geek style, so bear with me here. Uh, so as you guys know, when I'm talking about these TV shows, especially well anything anything i'm talking about is going to be spoiler heavy so if you haven't seen the shows i'm talking about or the movies i'm going to be talking about please pause here catch up check them out and then come right back and join us in the conversation i'm going over netflix's christmas movies that i caught and i've been binge watching quite a bit here i am recording this as of the weekend after thanksgiving so i've taken a nice little two-week break from recording anything And that was mostly just to like get some stuff done that I needed to get done, adulting in its many levels, but also just getting ready for the holidays. So now that the holidays are on a a brief, albeit brief hiatus, because Christmas is now like right here and I've got a slew of birthdays that are coming at me, I can catch up a little bit. And I was able to catch up on my TV and that included a lot of holiday movies that we got. I'm going to be talking about The Princess Switch, which is a Netflix original, and I'm going to be talking about the Advent Calendar one. I don't know if it would, if it's called The Holiday Calendar, maybe? Bonnie from um, Vampire Diaries, isn't it? And I will have her actual name when I talk about that movie, but it's very interesting. It's very interesting. I have some thoughts and feelings, so I'm going to be talking about those movies as well as the DC TV. That includes Supergirl, Black Lightning, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Titans, Titans. American Horror Story Apocalypse is officially done, um, but I never gave my thoughts on the finale. You guys know how I felt about the series as thus far, so I'm going to give you a little, a quick tidbit on that, and that's yeah, that's pretty much gonna be it so right after this gonna be jumping into supergirl right after this <laughs> 